Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome back. Here's why you need to watch today's Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Blockchain analysis firm Chainalysis published a report on Tuesday that $1.9 billion has been lost to crypto hacks this year. We're going to talk about what's in the report and why it matters. Plus, we have another macro masterclass with Mark Yusko. He's declaring crypto winter is over, and he talks about the relationship between price and value and digital assets. We're going to break down what he said and leave you with the key takeaways. Guys, remember, this is your show. Please send us your questions on YouTube, Discord, Twitter. We really want to hear from you. My name is Marco Oliveira, and with me today, we have, as always, Ash Bennington. Let's kick things off with the latest price action. So we're seeing signs of crypto taking a dip this morning. Bitcoin is down in the past 24 hours, currently hovering around 23.5K, down almost 1,000 from or a 1.5% from yesterday's highs. Something similar is happening with Ethereum this morning. Ethereum is down about 1.5% in the last 24 hours. It was at a high of around 1950 yesterday before dropping to where it's sitting right now in this mid-1800 range. Ash, what are the stories we're covering today? It has to do all about Solana. What is the price looking like this morning? Well, if you look at the one-year chart of Solana, you can see the impact that the network availability problems have had on the price of the coin, but then it effectively goes sideways. We're down about 3% here the last 24 hours, roughly flat the last seven days or so. But I also wanted to point out something on the Bitcoin and Ethereum charts. Uh, that Devil's Tower formation you saw on Bitcoin and Ethereum at around 2 o'clock in the morning, where it went like this and then like that. Uh, that's the dropping of the UK PMI report. It came in hot, way hot, like 40 years hot at 10.1%. Consensus 9.8, prior of 9.4. So obviously hotter than expected. You can see the move in the price action of Bitcoin and Ethereum, Marco. Wow, that's really surprising. I didn't know about the UK PMI report dropping, but yeah, that's huge news. 10.1% is definitely big. Big. We're going to have to definitely keep an eye on that and see how it's affecting other assets. Um, but anyways, moving on to today's top story. Our top story here, we have this chain analysis report. Obviously, chain analysis is those well-known blockchain data analytics firm that reported that $1.9 billion worth of cryptocurrency has been stolen and hacked so far this year. That's compared to $1.2 billion back in 2021. You know, on the other hand, the total revenue of crypto scams appear to be down. This is obviously different than crypto hacks, but this report saw a sharp 65% drop in scam activity. You know, Ash, it's really interesting to see that while hacks are up, scams and overall illicit activity is down. There's clearly a lot to unpack in this report. What do you make of the numbers? What's standing out to you? Well, I guess it depends if you're a glass half full or half empty kind of guy or gal. Uh, the chain analysis report says it pretty directly. Criminal activity appears to be more resilient in the face of price declines. That's a direct quote. Uh, as you say, the dollar value of scams has fallen, but don't get too optimistic there. Uh, the report states that that's in line with roughly the decline in the price of Bitcoin. In other words, the activity seems more or less constant. The dollar value is down as the 
price of Bitcoin falls. One of the things that I thought was interesting about this was when CNN picked up the story of this chain analysis report, and it's interesting, chain analysis report, it's interesting now because we're in this weird sort of crossover phase where a chain analysis report gets picked up by, you know, CNN.com. Uh, and the lead that they went with was, quote, a staggering $1.9 billion worth of cryptocurrency was stolen in hacks. They don't make the distinction between hacks and scams over at CNN. But look, here's the deal, Marco. Now, not everyone is cool enough to be watching Real Vision Crypto. And the CNN lead probably tells you something about what the average man or woman in the street thinks. And what they think about cryptocurrency is that there is a ton of fraud and theft in this space. I'm not trying to be pessimistic here, just, just honest about the way the industry is viewed to the outside world, because I think sometimes those of us who love this space and spend all of our time inside of it sometimes forget that people outside have a different view. And look, the reality is the data shows quite clearly that what we talk about here very often, in fact, too often, I would say, in terms of the for the space that all of these hacks that we see definitely have a real impact and they have a real material dollar value that gets assigned when not a firm like Chainalysis comes in and does a report and shows you in, in uh, dollars and cents just how much this costs, Marco. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it reminds me of that saying, if it bleeds, it leads. And I, I'm not surprised that they right. led with a negative kind That's of, right. you know, headline so they could get some attention there. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, a lot of people aren't watching Real Vision Crypto. But, you know, if they had, you know, we had Corby Pryor on some months ago. He talked about the vulnerabilities in Crypto Bridges. He was like yep. one of the prominent voices talking about the possibilities of these hacks. And we actually have him coming back on the next couple of weeks for an update. So for the viewers, stay tuned for that. It's definitely a developing story there. So Look at, Ash, looking this, forward to seeing that. And by the way, if it bleeds, it leads. That's a lot of blood, 1.9 billion. Yeah, a lot of blood. <laughs> uh, Ash, so there's a, f a few other stories that we're looking at today. This first story, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission has set its sight on 2017 blockchain project Dragon Chain over its $16.5 million ICO. They are suing founder John Joseph Rowitz and the three other Dragon Chain related organizations under his control over this unregistered offering of crypto asset securities. Ash, it looks like another story of is it security, is it not? Many people looking at the name Dragon Chains, they're, they're probably making the conclusion, yeah, it must be. I mean, Dragon Chain. But re what really strikes me about the story is the timing. Dragon Chain right now is essentially a zombie token. This story, you know, is, is the first time I'm hearing about it. What do you make of this? Why is the SEC doing this now? Oh, that's those are exactly the right questions, Marco. And and I think for me, you know, the import of this story is less about Dragon Chain per se, as you said. And I wasn't terribly familiar with it myself. I think I remember hearing about it back in the uh, back in that that 2017 era. Uh, but what the SEC is is it seems to be saying here, uh, in, in the sense of what they're communicating with this action, is we are serious. The SEC filed a complaint in July alleging that coin uh, that Coinbase uh, were selling assets that were in fact securities. This is a public filing. You can go and take a look at it uh, if you like. And now they're suing Dragon Chain. The takeaway is if the SEC thinks that someone has created a security, they are going to take action. SEC is applying the Howey test here for securities. This is a little bit of context for how the lawyers think about it. Um, that's the relevant legal test that they use to determine whether or not something is or is not a security. And here are the four principal points of the Howey test. The investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profit 
derived from the efforts of others. Investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profit derived from the essence, from the efforts of others. The SEC is basically saying we don't care if that's on chain or off chain, if it's an illegal security that's done uh, on a sort of on a, with paper or if it's done on the blockchain. They are saying this is something that we take very seriously, and I think the message here is also uh, that the amount of time that's elapsed between when the security, their allegation, the security was issued, doesn't matter. We're going to take legal action, Marco. Yeah, that's absolutely. And, you know, I thank you for this, you know, mini uh, masterclass on the Howey test. Definitely need to get reacquainted with that as we kind of start to see how these stories develop and if other stories develop around the SEC, you know, regulation. We have an interview with Hannah Rod coming about regulation, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Yeah. So we're going to be covering that. It's going to be, you know, something that is a, a, a topic that's on the top of mind for us. But speaking about that, our next story Jump Crypto will help redesign Solana to make the blockchain more reliable. Solana is, of course, another thing that's that's on the top of mind. Recently, we talked about the wallet hack for $5 million. We covered the outages that happened from time to time on the Solana network. This most recent one was in June of this year. And Jump Crypto is looking to come in and change all that. It's planning to overhaul Solana security software and make improvements to its open source code. Ash, what do you make of this partnership between Jump and Solana? Well, it's interesting who Solana is partnering with. Jump Crypto is a division of Jump Trading. Jump Trading is a major prop shop. That's a proprietary trading outlet. Uh, and it's a big private company, 700 plus employees. Okay, so back to Solana. We all know about the outages, the stability and reliability problems that the network has had. So pretty clear that they would want to make these improvements. But it's really interesting to see this alliance between a prop trading shop on the one hand uh, and an L1 protocol on the other. But when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense. Big prop shops already have these core competencies in-house. They know how to build software for high bandwidth, financially mission-critical applications. I've done a, a tiny little bit of consulting uh, myself for an HFT shop many years ago, or for a shop that did some HFT many years ago. Uh, and security and stability are obviously huge concerns for the folks who write code at those shops. So it's interesting to see this, this partnership, this alliance, this potential marriage. Uh, is the model new? You know, Solana is an open source project. You can go up to the Solana Foundation uh, website and read all about it. You can go and find their code repositories. These are all public. The source code is public. Anyone can download it. Anyone can modify it. This sort of reminds me uh, of IBM, I guess, in the 90s when they began to work on the Linux uh, platform. Linux, obviously, also open source. To see this, this sort of this sort of mashup of a of a private or for profit company on the one hand working with open source software, really interesting model. And I wonder if we're going to see it repeated with other, for example, large financial firms picking champions and saying, "Okay, we're going to work on." And I'm making this up now. We're going to work on Ethereum. That could be really interesting to see and what that might do for the development efforts, how it might change the open source nature of uh, these projects and what ultimately the improvements to the projects might be, particularly, particularly in terms of security, Marco. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as we talk about Solana, it's really interesting. Mark, we did an interview with Mark Yusko, and he talked all about investing in Solana as part of the multi-chain world thesis. Stay tuned for that clip. It's the last clip we're going to play today. But for now, we're going to turn our attention to our first clip of the day. There's a lot going on in the space. And Ash, you spoke with Mark Yusko about how he's thinking about digital assets right now. Let's hear what he has to say about it. You know, I, I officially, uh, what was it, five weeks ago, declared uh, crypto winter was over and that uh, spring had sprung. And so that, that's been my, my new theme. And, and that, that is, you know, moderately related to, to the macro, but more importantly, just uh, the, the re, reassertion of the independence of the digital asset market from the rest of the markets. You know, and, and what I mean by that is if you think about digital assets, they are uh, historically very uncorrelated to traditional assets. And there's a reason for that, right? The, the macro world that we used to live, you know, or they still live in, uh, stocks and bonds and, and private and real estate and all that good stuff, all of those assets should be relatively highly correlated because they're all driven by the same factors. GDP growth, interest rates, uh, profits, you know, corporate activity, uh, all of those things are, are interrelated. Digital assets, crypto, Bitcoin, et cetera, aren't really impacted by that. Everyone kind of thinks they are, but, but they're not. They're, they're about the technology itself. They're actually about adoption and particularly millennial adoption which we can talk about, uh, regulation, and really the, the overall uh, development of the ecosystem themselves, which is independent, really, I believe, of, of the larger macro world. So, however, people say, but, but since November, you know, they were perfectly correlated. Well, yeah, in liquidations, all correlations go to one. And what happened in the equity market, we had the highest level of uh, margin debt in history, which took valuations on stocks from Stupidville to Crazy Town. I mean, <laughs> levels of valuation that were just indefensible, undefensible. And those have corrected. And, and now everyone's like, oh, it's over. And they're bouncing. And look at this great rally. I'm like, yeah. So we went from Crazy Town to Stupidville and now we're heading back to crazy town and everything's great. And we've all seen the bubble chart. It's that return to normal that, that everyone's going to believe. Uh, the, the other thing that happens in that is you get liquidations. And when you get liquidations, whether it was the COVID liquidations in March of 20 or the liquidations that happened kind of January, February, March this year, is when you get a margin call, you don't get to sell what you want to sell. Right? You can't sell Peloton down 90% and meet the margin call. You can't sell Zoom down you know, 80% and meet the margin call. You have to sell what you can sell. So you sell bonds, you sell gold, you sell crypto, particularly Bitcoin. So those assets started to unwind. And we got a death spiral of unwinding of leverage. Because the unwinding of leverage makes people have to sell more, which then unwinds more leverage. And... The interesting thing about the digital world, particularly Bitcoin, is the leverage went from crazy stupid, right? The Bitfinexes and the Binances and the, the Luna debacle and all this stuff. 
crazy amounts of leverage. But it, it all got totally flushed the weekend of, of Father's Day. And so with the Three Arrows Capital liquidation. And so basically, since then, there's been very little correlation between digital assets and traditional assets. There's been you know, this rapid recovery in Bitcoin prices from the low, the 17.5 wick on June 14th to today, uh, Ethereum's up even more than that. And people are looking at it going, well, I, I don't understand. Like, well, it's not a lot to understand. Leverage is gone. And now we're way under value in terms of, you know, um, uh, fair value of, of the networks. And it was, but, but the Fed's still raising. It doesn't really matter. That's not why these assets go up. There was this theme a while ago that we talked about where people were like, well, if, if the Fed's creating money, that's, that's good for Bitcoin. Well, right, in terms of dollars or yen or euro, because one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Always will be, always has been, never gonna change that. But we don't talk about it in Bitcoin yet. Maybe 10, 20, 30 years we will. But today we talk about it in some other currency. So what if we talked about it in, in bolivars? There's actually never been a bear market in bolivars. Never been a Bitcoin bear market in Venezuela. Never been one in Argentinian pesos. Never been one in Turkish lira. Because those currencies are in the toilet. And uh, if you price a good asset in a piece of toilet paper, it, it looks really good. The volatility we see in US dollars is a reflection of you know expansion of leverage, compressional leverage. And it's if you think about the Metcalf's law curve that defines value of the network, that's not what the price is. The price is what you and I agree to sell a small amount at a certain period. And mm. that's not reflective of value. So we got to way above fair value last November, 69,000. We were almost in Stupidville in crypto valuations, Bitcoin valuations. And at you know, 17,000, we are again in Stupidville the other way, anti-Stupidville, uh, with valuations in the low 30s. Flash, first off, I got to say, I love that you're wearing the same shirt here. Tell me, is that your official Real Vision uniform? I'm busted, man. I think it may be the official uniform of Real Vision, <laughs> the official uniform of the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Hey man, I'm just trying to catch up with you, man. The same, we're trying to get the same, you know, kind of shirts here to, we should to do match like and look good on camera. We should do yeah, the Steve Jobs match. thing. This yeah, way, absolutely. like we always just one just shirt, we'll shirts. buy like twelve. Of them. <laughs> sounds sounds like a plan, man. Um, anyways, <laughs> pivoting back to your interview, here we have Mark making the case that crypto and the Nasdaq they're uncorrelated. When just yesterday you and Nick Nico covered Lynn Alden talking about the opposing view, he sees mm -hmm. digital, she sees digital assets as correlated. How would you sum up Mark's point of view here? Oh, that's a great question. Lynn made the argument for the correlation trade. Uh, today, Mark is making the argument for a lack of correlation. They can't both be true, right? Actually, I think they can be, but on different time horizons. Short term, uh, we can see asset prices as highly correlated because of liquidity conditions in the market. Longer term, we can see asset prices diverging for fundamental reasons. In fact, you know, Mark specifically states and makes a point about this, saying that correlations tend toward one during periods of liquidation uh, because you're forced to sell stuff you don't want to sell. And so even the value of good assets declines. He's talking effectively about margin calls, forced liquidations, as we see when there's a 
lot of uh, choppiness in the space and significant price declines. But what Mark is really saying here is he's making the case for a long-term like framework for a new independent, decentralized monetary and commercial system. It's really a radical vision uh, in terms of the, the way that he sees the future shaping up and why he believes there's a value proposition to be set in across the, the coin universe. Uh, and he's saying the key driver of price, the really key driver of price is adoption. He also mentions regulation, meaning that when there's some regulatory clarity, we'll start to see hopefully uh, some price supportive action uh, around that meaning. Uh, particularly for institutions, as you start to see some stability and some and some transparency in the way that regulations, laws uh, are going to look, you'll start to see uh, the price reflect that. But he also talks about Metcalf's law here, just as Raoul does, to frame the value of the network, meaning the fundamental value of the network is dependent on the value of its users and the transactions on that network, not some speculative fervor. This is ultimately the long-term vision of where Mark Yusko thinks we are headed with digital assets, Marco. You know, Ash, speaking about Metcalf's law and the framing the true value of the network, you, you set me up perfectly for the next clip, by the way. Uh, this next clip talks about value and price, the relationship between them. Let's listen in. Well, price is a liar, right? You know, I stole that from John Burbank. Uh, he's a buddy, a hedge fund guy. And price is a liar. Price has nothing to do with value in any asset, right? Price of a house. It's not the value of the house, right? Prices of houses where I live in North Carolina, right here, went up 40% in the past year. Insane. What does that have to do with the value? Did, the, did my house grow? Did it get more useful? It actually wore out a little bit. I had to put money into it to keep it at the same level. What happened is the price, right? These devaluing currencies these less valuable dollars that everybody's got more of because they printed half of all the dollars in the history of the Republic, 248 years in the past two years. Suddenly people got a bunch of them and Apple is building a new second headquarters right down the street. So people want to buy you know, houses. Doesn't mean the house got better. And so that price doesn't reflect value. And it could fall just as quickly if Apple decided to relocate someplace else. And in, a, in the security market world, price really has nothing to do with value. It has to do with buyers and sellers, and particularly in low float assets, Tesla, AMC, GameStop, that kind of nonsense. When, when so much of the, of the security is held by one or two people, and there's a very small amount of shares trading back and forth and back and forth between all these day traders and pajama traders, it's just two people setting a price to, to exchange some amount for each other. And as long as the, and then you got the bots coming in, you got the high frequency traders coming in. And ultimately value is determinable, right? I'm a value guy at heart. I'm a Seth Klarman, you know, acolyte or, a, you know, um, yeah, Ben Graham, I mean, all of the, the greats in, in history in terms of, of value and value is the sum total of the you know, future cash flows of a business. It's the goods and services, the property, plant, and equipment. It's the value of the intangible assets. But it but is a determinate number. And you know, Peloton's the best example recently, right? So you had this thing that went totally ballistic during lockdown. 
because everybody was going to get an exercise bike because you couldn't go to the gym. And so they sold a bunch of bikes and, and people extrapolated that to the moon and, and said, this is going to be great. And they're like, well, that's the value. It's not the value at all. I mean, let's look at the cash flow they get on each bike, which is not very high. Let's look at the renewal rate of, you know, equipment, right? People say they're going to get in shape. They say they're going to ride their bike. They say they're going to go to the gym. And they do for a couple of weeks. And most people don't make it to 18 days. 18 days is where you get a habit. So you got to do something for 18 days or it's dead. <laughs> and so the same thing happened with Peloton. And what happened? down 95%. And now the question is, are we below fair value where a private equity firm comes in and says, geez, there's real assets here. There's real customers. There's some value. So now maybe I should take this thing private and we'll see what happens. But the price goes up and down around fair value. And the best chart on this is advisorperspectives.com does this great chart. And it it shows the, the long-term trend of securities. And it's a red line. And it goes up and to the right, right? 6% a year on average. Why? In real terms. Well, because there are profits, there are dividends, there's growth. And, and you know, GDP grows, businesses grow, stocks should go up. The problem is we don't spend any time on the red line. We spend it above the red, the red line and below the red line. Greed, fear. And so we cycle between greed and fear, and that price, the blue line of this chart, is way, way above fair value. Right? I, I did um, Maria, Mornings with Maria, a couple weeks ago, and she said, you know, is, isn't this a great time to be, be buying stocks instead of crypto? I'm like, well, let me put it this way. Stocks, even after the fall, are in the 93rd percentile of overvaluation relative to fair value in all of history. 140 years, only 7% of the time they've been more expensive. That's not cheap to me. Bitcoin, and this was a couple weeks ago before, you know, like it was in 19,000 or something like that, was in the cheapest 2% of all of its history. 14 years, it had only been cheaper 2% of the time. I don't know, two is better than 93. That's value relative to price. And I, I, I marvel at people who, who buy things irregardless of the underlying value as long as the price is moving. And, and I say I marvel at them because I, I don't understand how you do that. Because an investor, by definition, wants to buy assets that are below value so they can accrete to value. And maybe you buy something that's at fair value if you think it's got a high growth rate, but you'd never intentionally buy something that's overvalued. A trader doesn't really care about value. A trader just wants to scalp short-term moves, and some people are good at that, I stink at that. But, but then you get the speculators, and speculators are not even really horrible in the sense that a speculator is just the opposite of a hedger, right? Oil company, needs to sell their production to lock in their profits because they got variable costs. A speculator comes in and buys the naked long oil, right? Against the sale of the, the oil. That's a useful function, but they're really only buying it because they think the price is, is going higher. Dangerous, but okay, useful function. It's the gamblers that are the problem. 
And the gamblers do that, but then they do it with leverage. And in the short run, that can move prices way above value, but eventually gravity returns everything back to fair value. And I think that's what we've seen in a lot of companies lately. I mean, look at the cloud companies and everybody's like, oh, but look at the last two weeks. Like, yeah, this is the great vacation year. Nobody is working. I mean, you and I are working, but you look around my office, no one else is here. Everybody's gone. Everybody's on vacation. Even in America, we're being greatly European and taking August off. So yes, there's no volume. This is a low volume short squeeze. Today is a perfect example. Because look, people are like, eight and a half is somehow a positive surprise on inflation? No, look, I, I think inflation is a myth. And it was, it was oil price increase and used car increases. Both of those are transient. They're gone. They're in the past. They're heading back the other way. I think oil will be around 60 bucks by the election. Used car prices will be way down because the chip shortage is getting solved. But that aside, a bear market that we've never had ever in history, Ash, not once, a 4% up day in a bull market. Ash, I want to hone in on something that Mark said there in that clip. He's saying Bitcoin at 19,000 was in the cheapest 2% in its 14-year history relative to fair value. Stocks were in the 93rd percentile. And this kind of sounds similar to something that we heard a couple weeks ago when we covered the Rect Capital interview discussing Bitcoin being below fair value. Can you break down Mark's opinion here in more detail? What is he saying? Yeah, absolutely. And first, let me give a little bit of context here. Mark starts this clip by saying price is a liar. And he says it emphatically. That's very much a value investor style sentiment. The idea here is that you can buy assets at a discount to their intrinsic value. <clears throat> Excuse me. Warren Buffett has said, for example, when he buys stock, he's thrilled when the price goes down. Why? Because it can come in and buy more at a lower price. That's very much a value investor sentiment. That's a value investor framework. And that's how Mark is sort of teeing this up. <clears throat> Mark isn't a trader. He's a long-term investor. Uh, so he's talking about a major paradigm shift here. I think I covered this in my last remarks to a more transparent framework for financial services. In his view, uh, the, va the fair value is higher uh, than that of the optionality of that has a very high fair value uh, in terms of the, this transition to a system that's very different from what we see today. <clears throat> now, the, ch the chart he shows, I believe that's the S&P chart uh, for price, uh, for, for the PE of stock. That's basically what the, the top line is showing. That's basically how much you pay for a dollar of cash flow. Uh, the rect chart that we saw that you alluded to at the top of the uh, clip uh, is, <clears throat> is just straight price with having cycle markers in, embedded in there so that you can see it. So BTC is not trading, at least today, on a cash flow mo model. So it's not a perfect parallel when we interpret fair value. But on a price basis, as Mark said, two is better than 93, meaning uh, you know if you're buying during a period where stocks the, the price of Bitcoin is higher 98% of the time versus 93 on stock, uh, the reciprocal of 93. Seven, I should say. Uh, that's a more technical basis if I'm interpreting his marks, uh, remarks correctly. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
yeah, very interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something interesting to pay attention to. Something else that you mentioned is this major paradigm shift uh, to a transparent framework for financial services. And I think that Mark kind of sums up this macro thesis. He breaks it down what he's looking at, you know, when he's looking at blockchain and digital assets in this final clip. Let's take a listen. Price is a liar. So don't worry about price and just accumulate ownership in the most important ecosystem uh, technological ecosystem that we'll probably see in our lifetime, right? Blockchain technology is an innovation in technology that is fundamental. It is the future. All commerce, all value will be exchanged using blockchains. We will move away from the 800 year cabal of the banks and we will replace trust with truth. So I used to call it the trust net, but I realized, no, 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 it's the truth net. So we had the internet, or we have the internet, and you and I are using it right now, TCP IP, voice over IP. Then we had the mobile net, where we all are you know, addicted to these little things. Now we're gonna have the truth net. And what is the truth net? The truth net is where we move away from the trust-based system, right? I lend you money. In the old days, I wrote down in my ledger, Ash owes me 100 bucks. You come back with 110 bucks. I said, oh, no, Ash, I'm sorry. You owe me 200. Uh-uh, I, I only borrowed 100. The ledger says two. I'm sorry. And you had to trust me not to be a bad guy. So then the Medici's came along and said, no, no, Ash, you keep a ledger. Mark, you keep a ledger. And we, the benevolent Medici's, for a small fee, will determine which one is the right number. So if you wrote down 100 and I wrote down 200, they'd be, nope, 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 Mark, it was 100. So... They were the trust and the Medici's and the Rothschilds and the Morgans and all these guys were the trusted third parties. Well, now we don't need them. So now if I want to send you value today, you have to have a bank account. I have to have a bank account. We have to pay the banking cabal a fee. Mm -mm. Today we can use digital assets. We can use blockchain. And so in the future, all the ledger, the truth, there'll be one source of truth. And we won't have to quibble. Did Mark lend Ash 100 bucks or 200 bucks? It'll be right there on the ledger. And that ownership ledger, fully encrypted, decentralized, secure, safe, lower cost, more effective, more efficient. You can say it's a Ponzi. You can say it means you don't understand what a Ponzi scheme is. You can say it's not going to happen. You can say the banks will fight it. And look, we're in the then they fight you phase. First, they ignore you. 2009 to 2015, bunch of nerds and geeks playing with their computers, whatever, okay? Then they laugh at you, 2016 to 21, a bunch of nerds and geeks and their magic internet money, okay? Then they fight you, 2022 to 27, they're gonna fight. Regulation fights, you know, FUD fights, you know, environmental stuff, which is total bogusness. I mean, gold mining, 60 times more electricity than Bitcoin. Tumble dryers use the same amount of, electricity is Bitcoin. We're going to outlaw drying our clothes. We call them clotheslines in our backyards. No. Don't tempt them, Mark. I, I know. I know. You know, banking industry, 2,000 times more electricity. Now, they do more transactions, so fine. But bottom line is, this technology is coming. It is inevitable. And the most important thing for every investor is to hashtag get off zero. If you have no exposure to digital assets, and you probably wouldn't be listening to this if you did, but if you have zero... It's the wrong number. You have to have some. And you need to buy it 
every day. And I don't mean literally every day, but today, tomorrow, next week, next month, don't buy it all at once. Accumulate ownership in the most valuable network, okay, the world has ever seen, the Bitcoin blockchain. Then decide, are we gonna have a single world, Bitcoin, Lightning, et cetera, or are we gonna have a multi-chain world, Ethereum, Solana? I don't know. I probably lean a little bit toward a multi-chain, but, but the Bitcoin maxis make a good case for why it should be a, a single world. We could do that on another day. But for now, you definitely got to own Bitcoin. You definitely got to own Ethereum. You definitely got to own Avalanche and Solana and, and a few of the others. Now, you can position size. You can risk manage. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't buy all at once. But my last thing and now this will get me kicked off the show probably. The only thing that gives me pause that the bear market's over, that it is not over, is I said, and I believe, what would finally end crypto winter and the bear market was Shiba and Doge need to be zero. Those assets should be zero. And that money should come back into the ecosystem that adds value to the world. And that hasn't happened. So that, that does bug me a little bit. Um, but most of the rest of the signs for crypto spring and crypto summer are here. So I'm, I'm going to stick with that. But I, I, I still think the doggies are zeros. You know, Ash, I really love the way Mark describes the blockchain here. He calls it the truth net. He thinks we're going to transition to using the blockchain over the third parties we use for settling transactions today. I feel like probably out there in the community, a lot of people still don't fully understand the case that Mark is making here. Can you break down what Mark is talking about? Why is he so I bullish on blockchain? Yeah, absolutely. Because this clip, really, you get his real fundamental case for why he's so bullish on this technology. He begins another segment once again by saying price is a liar. But for me, this is the key quote. All commerce, all value will be exchanged using the blockchain. That's the big picture. That's it in a nutshell. This idea that the blockchain is going to revolutionize the way we transfer value and the way that we transfer the way that we engage in commerce in the world more broadly. This idea of the truth net, uh, Mark is making this point about the power of transparency. A uh, truth net in that the underlying ledger is available to everyone on the same terms. Mark is obviously a student of financial history. He talks about the Medicis uh, in, in a way that really sort of frames up the revolution, this idea that you have a greater level of transparency in understanding who owes what to whom, how much and when. This really is revolutionary in the sense that it, it's not held inside of, of J.P. Morgan's uh, you know, data center. This is something that's available to everyone and available uh, on the same terms, meaning anyone can download a uh, full node of, Bitno of Bitcoin and run it locally. So this transparency fundamentally means that you can disintermediate third parties like the big banks, as Mark was saying. That means lower costs more security, and based at least on what we know about the laws of, of physics and math behind public key cryptography, far more secure systems. And it also means that there's the potential, Marco, for massive innovation, the creation of programmable internet money, which really is in many ways the dream that everyone aspires to in this space, Marco. Massive innovation, the dream. 
you know, you just summed up his points so perfectly in that clip. And I just want to recap what I learned today and what the viewers could probably take away from your conversation with Mark. You know, Mark made the case at the first clip for the lack of correlation between digital and traditional assets. Yesterday, Lynn made a seemingly different case, but you pointed out that it's possible for both to be true depending on our time horizons, long-term, short-term views. We also heard Mark talk about fair value and price. He kept mentioning, like you said, emphatically, price is a liar. He's looking at digital assets like a long-term value investor. And lastly, Mark, in this last clip, he talked about the, his view on the fundamentals of blockchain and Bitcoin, again, hammering home that price is a liar phrase, talking about the power of transparency. We talked about why he's calling the blockchain the truth net and why he believes massive innovation is possible. There's really a lot of valuable information in these clips and in your explanation, Ash. I appreciate you for breaking it down so simply. Thanks, Marco. It looks like we got a question coming in from YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. This is from Crypto, the only on YouTube. Does cash have a crime problem? <laughs> That's a very funny question. Ash, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, just, you know, mathematically speaking, it absolutely does. The bulk, I don't have the numbers ready to hand, but if you look at the, the bulk of illegal transactions in the world, uh, they take place predominantly in physical cash. All of the really nefarious activities, every time you, you watch a movie, the bad guy always pulls up with a, you know, like with a Halliburton uh, metal briefcase filled with $100 bills or 100 euro notes. So absolutely, uh, cash does have a crime problem. And I think it's a fair point. And the idea here being particularly people who are in the community, crypto, the only I know is asked some really intelligent questions before, or she's asked some really intelligent questions before. This idea that, you know, there, there's maybe a different level of standard that's being applied uh, to some of the digital assets. And and look, and, and perhaps some of that's fair because the ability to move money cross borders is greater. But crypto the only, your point's well taken. Excellent question. Yeah, excellent question, Crypto the Only. Definitely, you know, we got to, you, you, every week you're sending or every every episode you're sending great questions. We really appreciate it. Well, that's it, everyone. That's it for today's show. Tomorrow, we're going to deep dive into a great interview with Hen Arad, all about regulation. See you tomorrow live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.